Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. How are you guys doing? I feel like I've run a marathon like in the last, how long have we been in here? About an hour? This has been intense. Um, couple housekeeping things real quick, all right? <clears throat> because I know that you're sitting there wondering. I'm not going to sing tonight. But I will make you a deal. All right, I'll make you a deal. If Dan will let me use his guitar tomorrow morning, I will sing you an original song. Do we have a deal? Yes. Okay. We'll lay that to rest. What? No? Dan's like, no, you can't use my guitar. I'll do it a cappella. That's fine. Okay, second thing. How many of you thought of me at lunchtime? Yeah, we had cornbread, didn't we? All right, so how many of you looked at that cornbread and you were like, this cornbread could talk. It would sound like Joel. Did you guys do anything? Okay. Peer pressure. Let's quickly, peer pressure. Let's talk about peer pressure. Did any of you get talked into doing something today that you, like, didn't want to do? <laughs> I see that hand. Okay. Was it something dangerous? Something that made you feel like you were living on the edge? Zip line, something like that? Let me tell you guys a quick story. When I was here in 2000, and a lot has changed here at River Valley Ranch. When I was here in 2004, uh, the barn that now has like the climbing wall and the ninja stuff, that was called the X barn. And there was like skateboarding stuff in there. And there was a specialty camp for people who could skateboard and do dangerous things like that. I was at Fort Roller, classic camp, nine to 11 year olds, you know, pretty safe guy. One of the counselors and, and me from X camp though, we, we struck up a friendship and one day he's like, man, you need to get on a board. I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, I need to get on a board. And uh, so one afternoon he's like, hey, come over to the X barn and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you how to drop in. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna learn how to drop in. I get in the barn and I didn't know what dropping in meant. I couldn't, I couldn't stand on a board you know, I could like hunker down like this and kind of sway back and forth, but I couldn't move on it or I would fall. But he wants me to drop in. So I get to the X bar and he's like, all right, man, here we go. You're going to drop in. I'm like, here we go. I'm going to drop in. What does that mean? He's like, it means you're going to get up here on this ramp and you're going to hang your board out over the edge and you're going to drop into the ramp. And I'm like, yeah. You know how you get caught up in the moment? People, they like psych you out and you're like, Yeah. I'm going, to do, I'm going to drop in. And somehow, in like a five-minute period when he's talking to me, I believed that I was going to do it. I did. I believed I was going to do it. And so he gets me set up. He's holding the board for me, hanging out over the ramp. And this ramp, it's not as tall as the wall that you have to jump up, but it was like, it was still really tall. Was I successful in dropping in? No. I didn't have to go to the hospital, but they had to like scrape me off the ramp and uh, I have not been on a skateboard since. So for those of you that did something dangerous today, you got out of your comfort zone. Listen, I've been there. I know what it's like. All right. You did it. 
I hope you guys had an awesome time today. I had an awesome time watching you, seeing you guys, saw some of you come down the zip line. You're brave for doing that. It was freezing cold outside today, and that, you know, amplifies everything. But here's the thing. Everything that we've done today, everything that we've done so far this weekend leads us to tonight. Um, the message that I'm going to share with you guys tonight, like this is, this is, I mean, obviously I came for the weekend, but I, I came because there's a message that I really want to share with you guys. Um, and it's kind of the culmination of, of what we've talked about last night and what we've talked about today. And even today, this has really burdened my heart because here's the thing, guys. I know that, you know, public speaking is, is something that seems like it comes natural and I can just get up here and I can do this and I can do this. But there, there's a burden on my heart because there's a message that I, I feel like you guys need to hear. And, and I want to be obedient to God. I want to be obedient to, to what I feel like he's called me to, to share with you guys. But at the same time, every time we come to look at God's word, there's a principle of Bible study that is, all right, seven people have been paying attention. There's a principle of Bible study that is indispensable. That means we can't do without it, right? It's, it's vital. We have to have it. And, and that principle is that we have to rely completely on the Holy Spirit to teach us. Because who can reveal God to you guys? God can reveal God. I can point you in the right direction. Your leaders can point you in the direction. But at the end of the day, God has to do a work in your heart to reveal Himself to you. God has to do a work in your heart to, to teach you His Word and what it means. And so before we get in and we, we look at this message that, that the Lord's put on my heart this weekend, I, I want us to bow and I want us to, to pray for that right now. Okay, so let's, let's bow. Father... We thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the fun that we've had. We thank you for the relationships that are being built among uh, these campers and among their leaders and um, among the staffers. Lord, what an amazing time we've been having. We thank you for the worship team who has done such a tremendous job of ushering us into your presence. But now, Lord, as we come to the study of your word, we need help. And it isn't help that I can give, Lord, it's help that only you can give. And so my prayer for everyone here tonight is that you would reveal yourself to them. That as your word goes forth, that it would find fertile ground in their hearts and in their minds. And that you would teach us as only you can do. Father, it's my prayer that tomorrow when we leave this place, that we will leave different than we were when we came. And that's only going to happen if you do a work in our lives. And so, Father, this evening, that, that's my prayer for each and every one of us here, that you would do a work in our lives. Reveal yourself to us. Give us a fresh glimpse of Jesus, we pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. All right, let me give you a quick recap of where we've been so far. Last night, we, we went to the Garden of Eden. We looked at Adam and Eve, and we saw how God put them there and gave them everything that they could want and everything that they could need. But He also gave them a choice. And He allowed them to be tempted 
your good. He allowed them to be tempted by the serpent in the garden. And the serpent promised them things that they weren't going to be of any real benefit, but, but they were things that they couldn't have. And we know that they walked in disobedience. And as a result of that, everything changed. And it didn't change for the better. Sin and death entered the world. And we looked this morning at that idea of inheritance. And, and the illustration that we used was David and Ma... Mephibosheth. You guys, have you guys been practicing that? Okay, good, good. I'm proud to hear that. Mephibosheth, David and Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was a guy because of who his father was, because of who his grandfather was. When David assumed the position of the throne, Mephibosheth should have been dispatched. He should have been killed. And yet David, because of a promise that he had made to Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father, David welcomes him in and he treats him just like he was his own son. And he gives him a new inheritance, a different inheritance. When it, when it should have been death, he gives him not only life, but he, he just pours out all this bounty upon him because of that covenant that he had made with Jonathan's father. We saw the beginning of a similar plan falling into place for humanity immediately following the fall in the garden. And I think you guys have read this a few times. I know I've referenced it a few times. I want to read it once again from Genesis chapter 3.15. This is in the middle of, of the, the consequences that God is pronouncing after Adam and Eve sinned. And he says, I will put enmity, which is hostility, hatred, between you, the serpent, and between the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and between her offspring. And he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And I told you guys last night that that is the gospel message in seed form. We, we talked about the acorn, right? And when I say the gospel message, you know, gospel means good news. Now, put yourself in the position of Adam and Eve for a second. They, they're not going to see the fulfillment of all this. They, they don't know ultimately what this is, is going to lead to. But if you're in the middle of getting all of these consequences putting, you, put it, putting on you, and, and all of your reality and your world is changing in an, in an instant, wouldn't you want to hear in the midst of that some good news? This is the gospel in seed form. And... and Tonight, we're going to expand on that, and we're going to look at, at, at this acorn beginning to, to take root and to grow into a mighty oak, okay? We're going to look at the fulfillment of, of Genesis chapter 3, 15. I also gave you a little timeline last night concerning what happened after they got booted from the garden. Sin settled in. People were wicked. Things got a little wet at one point, didn't they? You know, Noah and his family and everybody else got... But God was always working behind the scenes to, to preserve those who loved Him, to preserve those who, who honored Him. And then finally, way down in the history 
of, of the nation of Israel. I wish we had time to, to go in and to explain all of that. We don't. But way down in their history, uh, you finally read about a guy named Moses. All right. And Moses becomes the leader of the nation of Israel. And he, he leads them out of Egypt where they were in bondage. They were in slavery out into the wilderness. Their, their ultimate conquest was the, the promised land. Moses doesn't quite make it there. But, you know, the people, like God's trying to do something good for them. He's trying to lead them out of bondage. He's trying to lead them into freedom. And the people just absolutely cannot handle it. And, you know, it's so easy for us to look at Scripture and look at people and how they mess up and to be like, what a bunch of morons, you know? Like, I've done that. But, but here's the thing. It's the story of my life. The story of their life is the story of my life. Has God tried to do good things for me in my life and I've just absolutely tore it to pieces? Oh yeah, all the time. Has God tried to bestow blessing on you and you take it for granted and you just... It's easy for us to look back at these people and, and make those observations, but the reality is it is in our very fabric. It is our very nature. As Moses and the, uh, the Israelites are out in the wilderness, God finally brings Moses to the mountaintop on Mount Sinai, and he gives him what's called the law. And the law became somewhat of a measuring stick for the people of God. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the law sort of helped people see just how far short of the glory of God they fell. In a sense, it reflected, um, it reflected a standard of God's holiness. Now here's what the law was. The law consisted of over 600 commands that God gave to Moses. And those commands are laid out in the Old Testament and the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And not only did it act as a measuring stick to help people see just how bad off they were um, when it came to obedience, it, it also acted as kind of a fence to keep them from further offending a holy God. And what made the law even more difficult for the people was the fact that the priests who were charged with um, kind of helping keep the people straight and, and keep the people abiding by the law. In order to do that, they, they did what we would call build, built a fence around the law. All right. Now that means that, that they, they observed the law and, and they knew what the law was, but they were like, oh, you know, we want to take the guesswork out of it for people. We want to make sure they don't mess up. We want to make sure they don't offend God. And so they put more regulations out there. They put out um, more laws to protect the law. Now, if you've got people who already can't keep the 600 plus laws that there are, what are they going to do when you put more on top of that? Are, are they going to suddenly, is that going to make everything better? <laughs> no, it's going to make everything more difficult. It's going to make everything more difficult. Now, we would take um, the law at face value. We would say, um, for example, let's, let's look at the Ten Commandments. You know, even you've got 600 laws. Let's just look at the Ten Commandments. And I'm not even going to uh, 
you know, share what all of those are, but I would look out here and I'd say every single one of us have violated one of the Ten Commandments. Probably a lot of them. One of those commandments is to, to remember the Sabbath and keep the Sabbath holy. This is what it looked like to build a fence around the law. Priest would say, okay, Sabbath, we got to honor the Sabbath. You guys can't work on the Sabbath because if you work on the Sabbath, you're not going to be honoring the Sabbath. We would take that at face value. We would say, okay, on the Sabbath, we're going low key. We're not going to mow the yard. We're not going to cut firewood. We're not going to stack firewood, stuff like that. Well, the priests building a fence around the law to try and help people not break the law, took it a step further and said, okay, you know what you need to, you know what you need to do? You know what you need to not do? You need to not pick up with one hand anything that weighs more than a dried fig. Where's Carl? Like, is Carl in here? Could, could Carl, like, look at something and be like, in Canada, our metric system, you know, whatever. Like, what? It's worse than that. It gets worse. I and mean, I could go on and on with this, but I'll give you one more example. On the Sabbath, you can't spit. Because you... That's my thought exactly. Because if you spit, your spit might roll down the hill and make mud. And if you make mud, you're working. And if you're working, are you honoring the Sabbath? Keeping it holy? No. You see what they're doing? They're building a fence around the law so that nobody offends a holy God. But ultimately what it did was it put people further and further and further into bondage. You know, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that for, for hundreds of years, the nation of Israel lived under this law. We call it the Mosaic Law because it was given to Moses there at Mount Sinai. And more often than not, the nation as, as a whole, as a people, are missing the mark when it comes to keeping the law, failing to do what God had commanded. And then when they messed up, when they messed up, when they broke the law, when they sinned against God, they had to offer sacrifice. That was a whole other part of things. If you go back to the garden, Adam and Eve, when they realized that they were naked, they were ashamed. There's my middle school kids. All right. I knew you were out there. When they realized that they were naked, they were ashamed. And Genesis 3.21 says that God made garments of skin for them. They had, they had like fig leaves and made little coverings for themselves. But God, God gave them what they needed. God made skin coverings for them and clothed them. Where do you reckon God got that skin? Probably from an animal. And for God to take that skin from an animal, you reckon it had to die? Most likely. And there's a foreshadowing there of this sacrificial system. When you sin, when you break the law, you offer up an animal as a sacrifice to cover that sin. And different sins require different sacrifices. And if you're too poor to afford a particular animal, there were options for you as well. But here's the reality. The Israelites were never able to measure up to the standard that God had set the Apostle Paul tells us later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, For as many as are the works of the law, 
as are of the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. You know what that means? That means if, if you don't keep the entire law perfectly, then you're condemned by it. And it's not like a, hey, I got a 90% in keeping the law today. No, like if you are not 100% in tune with the law, under the law, keeping the law, then you're condemned by the law. When God made this covenant with Moses, when, when he gave them the law, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, this is, this is what God said. He said, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, there's two words I want you guys to recognize in those two verses. And they're small. They're short words. The words if and then. Those might seem small. They might seem insignificant. But here's what they indicate when you put them together. They indicate a condition. If you do this, then I will do this. You guys understand what a condition is? All right. Your parents probably give you those, you know kind of an ultimatum type thing. If you do this, then I will do this. So this is a covenant being made between God and the nation of Israel, and they're required to walk in obedience to the covenant if they were to reap the blessings of that covenant. Could they do it? No. Were they ultimately condemned by it? Yes. But here's the thing, guys and gals, that I want you to get more than anything else that I'm going to say this weekend. What we couldn't do, God did. All right? What we couldn't do, God did. You remember Genesis 3.15? We saw the promise in seed form. Let's look at it developing. And then let's see it in the form of a mighty oak tree. And here's the thing. In a crowd this size, I don't want to assume anything. Some of you guys are hearing this, and this is old news. You know this. You've known this for years. But... Forgive me if you know all about Jesus. Because there might be somebody here this evening that knows nothing about Jesus. And everything that I'm saying, they're like, this is new to me. I have no idea what you're talking. Explain further. All right. So if this is old news to you, hang in there. Tomorrow's message might be more for you. But there's somebody here tonight that is hearing this for the first time. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This was the beginning of that song. What a beautiful name that we sang just a few minutes ago. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, does not, the darkness did not comprehend it. This is that acorn beginning to take root and sprout. Because we're talking here about the offspring of Eve. We're talking about Jesus. And, and, and John, in John chapter 1, 
defines Jesus as the agent of creation. The second person of the Godhead existing in eternity. This is where if you're like a thinker and you have to rationalize and understand everything in your head, your head will explode. All right, that's why I'm not a thinker. I'm a little bit of a thinker, but not a lot of a thinker, okay? I, I don't want to overcomplicate things because then I get confused and that doesn't do any of us any good. But we're talking about Jesus who existed in eternity, the agent of creation. Now listen, listen to verse 14. He's the Word. And verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does that mean? That means that the agent of creation is going to become created. He's going to become the created one. Born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Has it even been six weeks since we celebrated that? He lived the perfect life. He adhered to the law. He fulfilled all things that we couldn't do. Why? To, to show off? To, to show us, hey, it can be done? No. He did that so that He could then, in turn, give His perfect life as a sacrifice. Because the Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He came and He lived a perfect life so He could give that life as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. When these animal sacrifices were made in the Old Testament according to the law, it had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish. And Jesus' whole purpose in leaving the splendor of heaven and coming to this broken, imperfect earth was to give His life as a ransom to pay that sin debt that you and I could never pay. I started out with Romans 6.23 tonight. For the wages of sin is death. That is our inheritance. But if you go on and you read the rest of Romans 6.23, it says, but. Now when you're reading Scripture and you see the word but, that's a term of contrast. That's a term of contrast. The wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But we're going to contrast, get this, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, He did that on the cross. He gave His life up. He bore the sin of the world. He was put in a tomb, and on the third day, I need to get some tape down there and tape that thing to the floor. That's, and now I lost my place. He bore the sin of the world, all right? He was put in a tomb on the third day. He rose. His life was literally the price that was paid for our freedom. Now, to some of you, you're, you're gonna, you hear that, you're going to roll your eyes, you're going to say, I, I've heard that before, I've heard it a thousand times, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. And I'm going to tell you this out of, out of love. I don't know any of you. We've had brief interactions. I don't know any of you, but I'm going to tell you this out of love. Someday you're going to stand before God. That's not my opinion. That's what the truth of Scripture says. You're going to stand before God. And if that thought does not terrify you, it should. 
because we can't even begin to fathom what that's going to be like. If any of you, I don't want you to raise your hands. <laughs> if any of you have ever stood before a judge, and I hope that you haven't because you're all upstanding guys and girls, I've stood before a judge, not in the way that you think. <laughs> our, um, our oldest son is, uh, is adopted, and uh, when he was like two days old to, to finalize his adoption, we had to stand before a judge and I'm going to be completely honest with you. I was terrified. Now, I was not, I had done nothing wrong. It was a, just a formality. But my wife and I, before, we, before the judge came out, I'm like, don't talk unless she talks to you. Don't say anything. Don't incriminate yourself. She doesn't care what you did when you were eight years old and you stole a piece. Like, just don't speak unless spoken to. I was terrified. And there's this microphone there, and I'm like, I'm breathing heavy. She's going to think I'm guilty. She's going to know I'm guilty, you know. I was terrified. And all she wanted to do was be like, hey, give, tell me your intentions. And I'm like, I just want to love this kid and raise him. And, you know, that's all she wanted to know. We had a picture taken together after it was all said and done with. It was a wonderful experience. I was terrified. One day, you are going to stand before God, the creator of the world. And you're going to stand before him in one of two, um, what's the word I'm looking for? One of two states, all right? You're going to, not like Maryland, Pennsylvania, but like in one of two conditions, okay? You're going to stand before God in, in one of two conditions. You're either going to stand before him clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, or you're going to stand before him clothed in your own filthy rags. And let me share with you the gravity of this. Again, in a crowd this size, the reality is that some of you are going to hear this and you're going to say, I've heard this a hundred times, blah, blah, blah. Let me go play dodgeball. Let me, let me just, I love you. I want you to get this. And I don't want to go away this weekend thinking, I should have said that, I should have said that, I should have said that. I want to give you clarity here. Because I think sometimes we, we hear things and, 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 and the world tells us things and it's not based on truth and that, that clouds our understanding. It clouds how, how, we, um, how we go forward in our, in our walk and in our understanding of Scripture. But some of you are going to leave this weekend and you're not going to care. They're, you're going to say, you know, whatever. You're going to continue on in your sin. But some of you, maybe you've been deceived. All right. Some of you, maybe your understanding of what's going to happen when you stand before a holy God is that there's going to be a giant scale there. And, and maybe St. Peter's going to be there and, and you guys are going to exchange some jokes, you know, and, and then all of a sudden your deeds are going to come falling out of a, a storage container and, and your good deeds are going to fall onto one side and your good deeds are going to fall on the other side and, and, and they're going to be weighed out. And then St. Peter's either going to be like, hey, you can go in or... If you guys left your home on Monday and you went to downtown Baltimore and you lived in a cardboard box and you devoted the rest of your life to serving the homeless, to taking care of widows and orphans, 
and you never said another cuss word in your life, you never again looked at porn, you never touched drugs, you never touched alcohol, and yet you stand before God and you're not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Do you know what he's going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. You know, Scripture says that our greatest acts of righteousness before God are like filthy rags. If you guys dearly loved someone and you wanted to give them something, how many of you are going to go like pilfering through the trash can and finding, you know, diapers and, and, and just nasty things and then coming and presenting it to that person that you love and being like, surprise! Like, are they going to be thrilled with that? No. And yet some of us, that's, that's how we envision this is going to go down when we stand before a holy God. Like, we're going to have this arm full of filthy rags and be like, aren't you proud I did this and this and this and I didn't do this and this and this? He's going to say, depart from me. On the other hand, you can respond to the message of the good news. You can respond to the message of the gospel and you can say, I, I want that. I need to be forgiven. I'm a sinner. I understand that my inheritance is death. And I want Jesus to come into my life and clean me up and, and make me new. You know that Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're like, wait a second. There was like 600 plus commands over here and these people couldn't keep these things and, and, and they couldn't be made right before God. And you're saying that, that Romans 10.9 says, if I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead, then I'll be saved? That's how this works, guys. The work has already been done. The work has already been done. The sacrifice has already been made. Jesus gave His life for you. Romans 5.8 is one of my favorite verses. It says God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One day when you guys get old like me and you have to go to the doctor, it's going to worry you. And you're going you're gonna to want to make yourself all churched up before you go to the doctor. Like when I go to the doctor, I fast for like two days because I want my blood pressure to be low. <laughs> That's stupid, isn't it? Because the doctor needs to see me as I am to know, okay, here's your condition. And yet we have this idea that like we need to church ourselves up before we come to the Lord. No, 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 no. The work was done while you were at your deepest, darkest place. The gift has already been given. The question is, will you appropriate it for yourself? If I called your name and said, hey, I've got a pair of uh, AirPod Pros for you. They're in the office. You, you just have to go and, and, and take them. You have to take possession of them. You have to appropriate them. You'd be like, sweet, <laughs> let's do that. But until you go and you appropriate them, are they yours? Have, do you have possession of them? No, you don't. Guys, the gift has been given. The, the opportunity for our inheritance to go from death to life. The work's done. And it comes down to 
us deciding what are we going to do with this information? What are we going to do with this gift? Are we going to appropriate it? Or are we going to harden our hearts? Are we going to ignore it? To the person who confesses Jesus as Lord, they're going to stand before God. Not with a hand outstretched full of filthy rags, but they're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And God's going to say, well done. Enter into my rest. I don't say any of this to scare you guys. You, this is not something that you can be scared into doing. You can be scared into doing this, but that's not, that's not how we want this to work. My hope and my prayer for you guys is that you're going to hear this and that your heart is going to just explode within you. Because here's what you know. It might not be much, but you know that that you're a sinner, you know that you deserve hell. <laughs> it's your inheritance. Maybe you have broken relationships. Maybe this idea of God being father is something that you're like, my father's terrible. That's, I, that's a, a, an illustration that just really bugs me. I, I, I want you to know that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And it's a gift that has been extended and you just have to appropriate that yourself. So here in just a second, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us. I want you to stay put for a second. Let me say this. If this is news and you're like, I know all of this, this is old news. That's great. Praise God. I'm going to have something to hopefully encourage you tomorrow. Understand that there's people in your small groups that this is new to them. They don't know what this is all about. Can you be an agent of encouragement and an agent of unity tonight and not leave here cutting up, carrying on, being a stink pot. Um, there's still plenty of fun tonight. But as you guys break up in your small groups, you're going to talk about these things. And this is, this is important. Like, I drove up here from North Carolina for this. All right? Um, so be an encouragement. Don't be a cut up. Let's go here in just a second to our small groups. And let's, uh, let's talk about these things. And if guys, if you're in that position, you're like, my heart is bursting within me. I don't know what this feeling is. I don't know what to do with this. Listen, your leaders are literally here this weekend to be a beacon for Jesus. Talk to them. You got crazy stuff going on? Talk to them. Talk to them. All right, let's bow. Father, we thank you again for your love for us. Your great love for us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, for his life that was given, his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this evening, that you would reveal your truth to us, that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, so that we may be changed. That's the only way that that happens, through your power in us. Lord, for our leaders right now as they go to small groups, I pray that you would give them a spirit of wisdom. They might have difficult questions asked. God, give them the words to speak. Help them to rely on you as the source of their strength and their understanding. God, we want to say this evening that we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. 
Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.